on a stand here. Stand still this morning. Maybe. In the way of announcements, take note of the things in the bulletin that uh, next Saturday will be the annual uh, women's luncheon at 12 o'clock. And uh, tickets, you can get them in the foyer after the service. If you have any questions, see Summer. She knows all the answers to that particular situation. And uh, I remind you that uh, on the 20th, we will be gathering together here at 1 o'clock in the afternoon uh, to celebrate the life of uh, my mother, who went to be with Jesus on April the 27th. And uh, just uh, looking forward to a time of celebrating her life and giving thanks um, for the heritage that we've had. And... Uh, as I look around the congregation, there's only one or two left from that original day when this tent was put up here. Lauren lived right across the street. His mom came across the street. Um, and uh, not very many others. I mean, I wasn't even born yet. Uh, when that, that happened in 1951. Take note of the other announcements. I don't remember exactly what was in it at the moment. Last week, we began in Genesis 1, 1, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. He created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, Elohim. Moses is the one who was inspired to write this historical account of the creation of the heavens and the earth for the Israeli people who had recently been delivered from bondage in the land of Egypt. They are on their way to the promised land, the land that God promised to Abraham would be his inheritance for him and Abraham's Isaac and Jacob and their children for all generations. But it's been 400 years, 400 years since Jacob and uh, so there's a whole lot that they need to be reminded of, especially coming out of Egypt that was polytheistic. They had a God for everything, and everything was a God, and even some of the men claimed to be gods. And so God inspires Moses to instruct these people by writing the book of Genesis, which means in the beginning, the book of beginnings. It all started with Yahweh. It started with Elohim, God. He's the only God. We talked about in the fact of the book of Genesis, we are introduced to numerous of the doctrines of the Bible. It is a foundation for the rest of the Bible. We pride ourselves in being New Testament Christians, walking under grace, and sometimes we forget that that's all one story from the very beginning to the very end. And that Jesus appears in chapter 1 of Genesis. 
in the beginning God. And remember John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is the story of Jesus from the very beginning. And so we find some of the great doctrines of the Bible are introduced. And the first doctrine is there's a God. He's one. He's Yahweh. He's Elohim. Um, I shared with you that in the book of Genesis is where we encounter for the first time the doctrine of grace. Some people think that grace is a New Testament theology. It is apparent in the book of Genesis, and there's grace all through the Old Testament. And we'll talk more about that as we go through the book of Genesis. God spoke about grace. He taught about grace with the very first family. We are introduced to the doctrine of creation. God is the creator. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit were all active in the creation of earth and the heavens above. Last Sunday, we read the first 13 verses, covered the first three days somewhat. I just want to remind you of what happened on day one. Day one in creation, God created light. Let there be light, and there was. On day two, God created the sky and the water. He separated the water and the atmosphere and the water below. On day three, God created the land in the midst of the water. And the continents came up. The seas were marked off where they're supposed to be. And then vegetation grew on the land that God caused to come up through the water that was covering the earth. The first three days of creation were all about forming the heavens and the earth. The next three days of creation were all about filling creation. Filling creation. The six days of creation is the story of God remedying the fact in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was void, without form, and void. There was chaos, and God was bringing order to the chaos. As we wrapped up the message last Sunday morning, we took note of the fact that God is still in the business of bringing order into the chaos of our lives. And he can come and make everything brand new, give us a purpose for living. In fact, the only place you're going to find a purpose for living is when you allow God to come and bring order into your heart and life. Genesis 1, verse 14 is where we're going to start this morning. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night, and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heaven to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. God saw that it was good, 
And there was evening, there was morning, the fourth day. Now there's a parallel between days one, two, and three, and four, five, and six. On day one, God said, let there be light. On day four, he created the luminaries. Now notice he did not say he created the sun and the moon, even though that's what he created. He created these two luminaries, these two lights. Why would he do that? That is because the Egyptians worshipped the sun and they worshipped the moon. Moses is reminded the Israelites, those Egyptian gods don't really exist. Those lights up there are not gods. They were created by the only God. And so when Moses inspired to write it, he doesn't say he created the sun and the moon. We'll talk about them later. That'll come. But he put this great light for the day and another light for the night. Elohim, God the creator, is the only one to be worshipped. Over and over, when you read through the book of Deuteronomy, Moses' final farewell address to the children of Israel about the time they're going into the land of Canaan with Joshua. He warns them. In Deuteronomy 4.19, I put it on the screen Beware, lest you raise your eyes to heaven, and when you see the sun and moon and stars and all the host of heaven, you be drawn away and bowed down to them and serve them. Things that the Lord your God has allotted to all the peoples under the whole heaven. That last line means God created them for everybody. Don't be bowing down and worshiping the sun and the moon. But people have been doing it for centuries. There's still people who worship the sun and the moon. He said, don't do it. In Deuteronomy 17, I didn't put, a, I didn't put it on the screen. In Deuteronomy 17, God says, if you see somebody, if you discover somebody, and there's two or three witnesses to the fact that somebody amongst you is worshiping the sun or the moon, Take them outside the city gate and stone them to death. It was a capital crime to worship the sun or the moon because God created them to bless earth and people he put on earth. God said, and with a word, our solar system was created and set in motion. God said, let there be a light for the day and a light for the night. And he said, let them be signs for seasons, for days and years. What we know now is that we are part of a solar system We are on planet Earth that rotates on its axis once every 24 hours. And it is making an 
orbit around the sun that takes 365 days, and every four years we bump it up to one more day. And it works like clockwork, a Swiss clock. It works perfectly. And it's been working since God put it into motion. And it will continue to work until God says, stop. Verse 16, and God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, and the lesser light to rule the night, and the stars. I love how he just kind of throws that in. And the stars. Do you know how many stars there are? Seems like there's 100 billion just in the Milky Way. And there's millions of other galaxies like the, the, I mean, there is no way that anybody can, and he created the sun and the moon and the stars. What a God we serve. Indeed, David was right when he said, the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. The 17th century mathematician and philosopher, Sir Isaac Newton did a lot of mathematical things trying to figure out how the solar system works. And he, he got somebody to build him a replica of our solar system in miniature. And, and that's a picture of, of what it was. At the center was this large golden ball representing the sun. And revolving around it were all these smaller spheres indicating the, the planets like Mercury and Venus and Earth and and, and on. And it, it was created so it was all geared together with belts and cogs, and, and there was a handle that you could turn, and when you turned it, everything moved in sync. One day, Newton had a friend come by who was, should we say, an agnostic, not quite an atheist, but really didn't believe that there was a designer. And uh, I don't know whether Newton was playing with it or if his friend was playing with it and turning it. And as this guy watched this, he says, My Newton, what an exquisite thing. Who made it for you? And without looking up, Sir Isaac replied, Nobody. Nobody? That's right, I said nobody. All these balls and belts and gears just happen to come together, wonder of wonders, and by chance they begin revolving in their set orbits with perfect timing. His friend undoubtedly got the point. His machine presupposed there has to be a maker. There has to be a designer because it is so perfectly ordered. And God spoke, and he put the light for the day and the moon. That means that the solar system began to do its thing. The chances of such an ordered cosmic machine just happening are overwhelming. Now I put 10 pennies in my pocket this morning. I try not to carry change, but I did it anyway. If I were to take these and number them 1 to 10, 
and put them back in my pocket. And pulling out the penny that has number one written on it, the odds are one in ten. If I put it back in my pocket and mix them all up again, the chances of pulling out number two is one in a hundred, according to laws of probability. The chances of repeating the same procedure and coming up with penny number three is now one in a thousand. If I kept on going and tried to get them one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, all in order, the odds of that happening would be one in ten billion. Laws of probability is fun to study. The odds of what we see in our universe, the odds of your body working the way that it does, just by happenstance, not possible. There's a God who spoke. Johannes Kepler, the founder of modern astronomy, discovered the of the three planetary laws of motion, the originator of the term satellite said, the undevout astronomer is mad. In other words, he's crazy. Do you know that the Earth is slanted about a 23-degree angle? And because it's slanted, we have our seasons. If it wasn't slanted exactly like it is, we would not only lose our seasons, but you know what? We would lose our life itself because the vapors from the ocean would move north and south, piling up continents of ice. If our moon were closer, our tides would daily flood continents. Day four, the sun and moon were put in their places. And as I said a moment ago, they'll be there until God says, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, and they'll be consumed with a fire. Verse 20. God said that the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with, with which, warms, which the waters swarm according to their kind and every winged bird according to its kind. God saw that it was good and God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the sea. Let the birds multiply in the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. On day two, God created the sky and the water. He separated the firmament. On day five, God filled the sky with birds and the water with sea life. God spoke, and the seas were filled with whales, sharks, swordfish, tuna, salmon, cod, sturgeon, on and on and on, eels, octopus, jellyfish, lobsters, alligators, crocodiles, turtles, clams, starfish, all kinds of sea creatures. If you've ever had the privilege of going to one of the tropical places and going snorkeling, you'd be overwhelmed by the colors 
of fish swimming all around you. God, I mean, what a creator. And he spoke it. The air, he said, let it be filled with birds, condors, eagles, hawks, ravens, crows, swallows, sparrows, ducks, geese, swans, hummingbirds, the big ones, the little, everything with wings, even an ostrich. I don't know if it ever gets in the air, but it has wings. God spoke it into existence and said it was good. Not only did God say it was good, but we have the introduction of another doctrine. Verse 22, we are introduced to the blessing of God. And God blessed them. God blessed them. It's the first time we read the word bless in the Bible. God blessed the creatures he had created. He blessed them with the ability to be fruitful, to multiply, and to fill the earth. We'll read about the blessing of God over and over and over. I say to you on the way out almost every Sunday morning, I shake your hand, God bless you. Sometimes we just take that as, you know, that's something you say when somebody sneezes or something you say just to be polite. Those who were here on Wednesday night, we talked about what it means to say God bless you and to be blessed by God from the story of Jabez. If you weren't here, you missed it. Proverbs 10.22 says this, the blessing of the Lord makes rich and he adds no sorrow with it. The blessing of the Lord makes rich and he adds no sorrow with it. Perhaps one of the most important verses regarding the doctrine of blessing is found in Genesis chapter 12 that we'll get to in a few weeks. Genesis 12 verse 1 says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. What a promise. The blessing of God to make him great, give him a great name, give him a great family, and he'll protect him. Galatians 3.9. So then... Those who are of faith, how many have faith in Jesus Christ? Are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. God wants to bless you and wants you to walk and live in the blessing that his purposes might be fulfilled in you. When he said to the beast, be blessed, he was saying, may all of your purposes that I've created you for be accomplished. That's what God said to Abraham. That's what God's saying to you today. Galatians 3.29, if you are a Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heir according to the promised. We are blessed. 
Tell somebody, I'm blessed. And so are you. Galatians 1, 24, or Genesis 1, 24. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind, cockroaches included. And God saw that it was good. On day three, God created the dry land and vegetation. On day six, he filled the land with all kinds of creatures. And the categories are rather generic because they're meant to cover every kind of creature that began to inhabit the world that God created. He spoke of livestock. That's the domesticated critters. He spoke of everything that creeps on the ground. He spoke of what we would call the game animals, the wild animals. God created them all. I referred to Psalms 19 earlier. Look at it again. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech. Night to night reveals knowledge. Why did God create everything the way that he created it? The flowers, the trees, the solar system, the grass, the grains. Why so many creatures don't have? God created it all for mankind to dwell in. God created this environment for us to live in. And when you take a look at the heavens through the Hubble telescope, or when you take time to look at a microscope and consider life up really close, all the cells that make up our bodies, you begin to grasp just how much God cares about us, how much God longs to be in relationship with us. It was all about us. God formed the heavens and the earth in three days. Three more days, he filled it with living beings, the sea life, the birds of the air, the animals live on them, and he said, it is good. And then day six slows down just a little bit because earth is now ready for its ultimate fullness, the creation of man. Verse 26 says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. So who was God talking to when he said, let us? Somebody says he was talking to the angels. Not likely. The angels are not created in the image of God. They are not God. He was talking to God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We talked about last week in the very first verse when that word God, Elohim, that talked, it's, that's in plural. And here he speaks. So here we are talking to the Trinity. 
And though you will not find the word Trinity in the Bible, over and over again we talk about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Three who are absolutely one. God said, let us make man in our own image. Mankind did not evolve from some lower form of creation in the animal kingdom. Mankind was created by God. We get to chapter 2, we'll talk more about that creation, how God literally formed him out of the dust of the earth. But verse 27 is the first poem in the Bible. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Three lines, three repetitions of the verb bara, which means created. There's that emphasis on the pattern of that creation. I'm blown away when I think about the universe we live in and the universe is beyond. The wonder of our solar system moving so very rapidly through space and its position in the Milky Way. You know what, if we could, if we could travel through the heavens and watch the birth of a star or the death of a star or a planet. And you know, we're told that there's stars out there that are hundreds of times bigger than our sun. It just blows my mind. But I want to suggest to you that the greatest miracle in creation is not the stars, it's not the planets, it's not the mountains, it's not the seas. The greatest creative miracle we'll ever behold with these eyes is the birth of a little boy or a little girl. The greatest miracle that we'll ever behold with these eyes is the birth of a child. Why? Because we have been created in the image of God. A child that did not exist That child born in the image of God is now eternal. I want to let that sink in. Every one of us were born and you are eternal. You will spend eternity somewhere. There's only two choices. Make the right one. The stars are going to fade away, according to scriptures. There'll be a moment when this planet is no more. But we've been created in the image of God to live forever and ever and ever and ever. So what does it mean to be created in the image of God? And that's probably a subject too big for one day. 
God created human beings, you and me, for the express purpose of being in relationship with him. A relationship of reciprocating love. God created mankind with personality. We were created with minds to think and to reason, emotions to feel, and a free will to make choices. Perhaps the one thing above all that speaks of the image of God is the fact that we have a soul. We have a spirit. Remember the scripture says God is spirit. We have a soul. We have a spirit that lives inside of that body, that temple that we know you by. But Paul said to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. That the person inside of you is going to be with Jesus. Now you can read some scholarly type people who want to tell us that when Adam sinned, the image of God was totally lost in us. However, even though that image was marred by the sin, we are still people created in the image of God. Even people who are not living for God. What was lost in the fall was man's original righteousness. What was lost in the fall was man's original righteousness. Adam and Eve were created without sin. They were created adults, and they'd never had to make a choice until she was deceived by the the serpent. They lost their original righteousness. If you fast forward to Genesis 9 and the flood is over, God has given Noah some instructions for civil law. And one of those laws that he gives to Noah and his sons, and now as they are repropagating the earth, he said, whoever sheds the blood of a man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. There's still that image thing. James warns us about the use of our tongue. James chapter 3, verse 9. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. We are made in the image of God. So God created man in his own image, the image of God. He created him. Male and female, he created them. Let me read the rest of the chapter, chapter 1 of Genesis And God blessed them. God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heaven, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I've given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. It seems to me, created in the image of God has something to do with relationship. It has something to do with relationship. When we get to chapter 2, we'll talk a bit more about the act of creating mankind 
But I want you to see here in chapter 1, as God created mankind, male and female, he blessed them. Then he spoke to them and gave them instructions. Because we are in the image of God, we can hear him when he speaks to us. And we can speak to him. Because we are in his image, there's communication that takes place between us. Because we're created in the image of God, we are responsible, moral, spiritual beings. Because we are in the image of God, we're responsible, moral, spiritual beings. Responsible to who? The God who created us. The God who sent his son to die on our behalf. In verse 29 and on, we are created in the image of God. It includes dominion over creation. God created man not only to fellowship with him, but to have dominion, to reign with him, to rule over this creation. And we talk about in chapter 2, I mean, Adam's first job was just to name all the animals in partnership with God. That was God's intention. Co-reigning with God. But in Romans chapter 5, we read that when Adam sinned, he lost that ability to be in charge of everything, and death began to reign. Satan, who had the keys of hell and death, began to reign and have dominion. But Jesus came to turn that all around, to restore to us the ability to reign and rule in life through Jesus Christ. The grace of God through Jesus Christ is restoring us to our rightful position as image bearers of the living God. The grace of God through Jesus Christ is restoring to us our rightful position as image bearers of the living God. The image had been marred by sin, but God is restoring us by his power. You say, really? Well, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says this, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Ephesians 4, verse 20. But that's not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and corrupt through deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Colossians 3.9 says this, 
do not lie to one another, seeing that you put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. You're in the process of getting a divine makeover. Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of God, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. We are being transformed from one degree of glory to another. Glory speaks of weight, of substance, of something that's real. God's image is being restored in us as we walk in obedience to the Word and, and the power of the Holy Spirit. Romans 8.29, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Everything God's doing in your life is for this purpose, is to restore the image of God in you and in me. One day the ultimate goal will be realized. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. What we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. We know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Everyone, verse 3 said, who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Here's the point I'm trying to get across. It is my ongoing relationship with Jesus. It's in that ongoing relationship that the image of God is being restored within me. It's in my ongoing relationship with Jesus that the image of God in me is being restored. As I submit myself to the Word of God and the Holy Spirit, God is doing something in me. Now, your salvation in terms of standing before God is instantaneous. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. My sins are forgiven. I'm on my way to heaven. But there's a process of our salvation where I'm becoming more like Jesus on an ongoing basis. It's likened to being a babe in Christ. You're not supposed to be a babe in Christ for 50 years. You're supposed to grow up in your maturity, in your faith. And as you're growing up in your faith, you become more like Christ in the way you talk, the way you walk the way you think. It's an ongoing relationship. I don't know if this will help you or not. This, I'm still trying to process whether it does or not, but I'm using the illustration anyway. Anybody ever, ever read The Velveteen Rabbit or watched the movie? You know, they made a movie out of the book, made a cartoon out of it. Let me share just part of the story of The Velveteen Rabbit. It's a story about how toys become real. 
The Velveteen Rabbit turned to the old wise experienced skin horse in the nursery and asked, What is real? Does it mean having things that buzz inside of you and a stick-out handle? The skin horse replied, Real isn't how you are made. It's a thing that happens to you. When a child loves you for a long, long time, not just to play with, but really loves you, then you become real. Does it hurt, asked the rabbit? Sometimes, said the skin horse, for he was always thought truthful. Does it happen all at once or bit by bit? It doesn't happen all at once, said the skin horse. You become. It takes a long time. Generally, by the time you are real, most of your hair has been loved off, your eyes have dropped out, and you get very shabby. But once you are real, you cannot become unreal again. It lasts for always. We are in the process of becoming just like Jesus because he created us in his image that the world might know him, that the world might see him through us. And what awaits the Christian is the likeness of Jesus himself. 1 Corinthians 15, 49 said, Just as we have borne the image of man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Our destiny is to be like Jesus, restored to the place of ultimate communion and dominion with our Father in heaven. And all of our hopes rest in him, Jesus, Jesus Colossians 1.15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. If you read the rest of that chapter in Colossians chapter 1, he's the creator, he's the sustainer, he's the goal of all creation. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was, was God. By him all things were created. By the word, the heavens and the earth were created. By his word, the heavens and the earth were filled with life. I believe it was Augustine who said it first, then Blaise Pascal said this, there's an abyss within, in within fallen man that can only be filled by an infinite and immutable object which is to say only by God himself. In modern-day language, there's a place inside of you that can only be filled by the presence of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 4, you read the story of Jesus making a trip to Samaria, stopping at the well of Sychar. In the middle of the day, he asked a woman for a drink of water. Engaged in a conversation, he says to her, if you knew who I was, you'd ask me of water so you'd never have to come here again because there'd be something welling up inside of you that would bring satisfaction. She gladly received it, that he's the Messiah, and went and told everybody, and her life was transformed. 
Richard Blanchard many years ago, I think 1959, looked at that story of that lady and he wrote the lyrics to a song that became number one on the charts in about 1961, 62, 63, somewhere along there. He said, he wrote, like the woman at the well I was seeking for things that could not satisfy. And then I heard my Savior speaking, draw from my well that never shall run dry. Fill my cup, Lord. I lift it up. Come and quench this thirsting of my soul. Bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more. Fill my cup. Fill it up. Make me whole. Day three, four, or four, five, and six was all about God filling the creation with life. That's what Jesus wants to do for each one of us today. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus went into his hometown of Nazareth. And they allowed him to read the scripture that day. And he opened up to Isaiah and he read, The Spirit of the God is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel, to bind up the brokenhearted, to set at liberty them that are bruised. I'm speaking to you today and you've never opened your heart to Jesus Christ. You're here today because the Lord wants you to know there's a place in your heart that only he can fill. And he does that by you simply come into that place and your understanding and the Holy Spirit brings you to that place. Jesus died for you on the cross of Calvary. He paid the debt for every one of your sins and we've all sinned, every one of us, no matter how good you are. And the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And just like the woman at the well experienced life, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved and in that moment become a new creature. And this morning, I also want to speak to those of us who've walked with Jesus Sometimes we are a leaky vessel. Sometimes life just causes all of that living joy to dry up. But I want to tell you, the Lord's here this morning. He says, I want to fill you anew and afresh with my spirit. And the application point today is taken from Ephesians 5.18. Do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery. But be filled again and again and again. In the Greek, continually with the spirit. How do I get filled with the spirit? It's submitting yourself to the Holy Spirit. That's why he talks about don't get drunk with wine. Living under the influence, 
We need to live here to leave here today under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And I want to sing with you. He binds the brokenhearted. He heals the wounded soul. I want you to stand with me if you can. And just for a moment, I want to worship, and I want you to just put yourself in a position. Lord, I just need a fresh touch from the Holy Spirit this morning. And I just want to receive it this morning as we worship you. You bind the brokenhearted, you heal the wounded soul. Father of all heaven, give you full control. Come have your way in us, O oh Lord, come set our spirit free. Father, send revival, start the work in me. Lord, I hunger, thirst for your righteousness. Father, come and fill me once again. Lord, I hunger, thirst for your righteousness. Fill me with your holy and your Fill me with your spirit. I want to see your face, to live in your presence, know your glory and your grace. It's not my will, but yours I choose to follow to the end. So mold, yes, and make me, let a new day begin. Lord, I hunger thirst for your righteousness. Father, come and fill me once again. Lord, I hunger, thirst for righteousness. Fill me with your hope and your wine. Sing verse two again. Fill me with your spirit. I want to see your face. To live in your presence. Know your glory and your grace. It's not my will, but yours. I choose to follow to the end. So hold, yes, and make me that in the day begin. For I hunger, thirst for your righteousness. Father, come and fill me once again. Lord, I hunger, thirst for your righteousness. Fill me with your oil and your wine. Sing that chorus again. Lord, I hunger, thirst for your righteousness. Father, come and fill me once again. Lord, I hunger, thirst for your righteousness. Fill me with your oil and your wine. Fill me with your oil and your wine. Fill me with your oil and your wine. Father. 
Oh, how we need you. Oh, how we need you. Lord, I stand in awe when I consider that your plan is to reveal yourself to people like us. Lord, forgive us for forgetting that. Forgive us for thinking it's all about us when it's really all about you. And Lord, my prayer is that there would be something of a fresh wind of the Holy Spirit blow into our hearts and our minds. That there would be that ongoing, have your way, have your way, Father. Have your way in me, Jesus. Speak to me, Holy Spirit. Lord, that I would be living with that stream of living water flowing through my being. Understanding that difficult times will come, but that's okay. Because I have the river of life. There'll be good times that will come. Lord, help me not to become complacent. But to ever hunger. Ever. Lord, that there be this holy, holy dissatisfaction for, for more of you. For more of your power being released in our life. Thank you, Jesus, for revealing yourself to individuals here today. Thank you that as we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us. Lord, your grace, your mercy, it's new every day. Lord, I speak blessing. I speak blessing upon this congregation today, Lord, that your face would shine upon us. Lord, that you would go before us, go behind us, and underneath would be the everlasting arms, and we would walk on that assurance. Lord, I pray blessing that we would fulfill the purpose for which you created us, because that's the only place we'll find real joy in this life. Thank you, Lord, for your touch upon each and every person here today. In Jesus' name I pray. And everyone said, Amen. Have a very blessed day. We'll do it again.